What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 232 of a podcast that you never know when it's going to come around. You know, I've compared us to the stepdad that promises, hey, slugger, I'll be at your baseball game, and maybe he shows up and maybe he doesn't. And that's. Oh, so we're uh, Robin Williams uh, from Hook. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he found his happy thought. Yeah. So, like, we either need to face off with Hook and become better. podcasters or uh a giant alligator needs to fall on us Uh, one or the other but you know what mike's got the job and i also you know work and i have the job s the jobs yes so uh (laughs) mike's schedule was it used to be just kind of wide open and now you know it's come into conflict so uh yeah, real quick, you know, because, um, you know, we're trying to dial back on some of the chit-chat, especially during the intro. Uh, how, how have you been, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, closed for the first time at Kohl's last night because I covered a shift. And uh, it's very different than uh, Michael's because at Kohl's it's, like, uh, definitely a lot more professional. Like, you actually do count your till at the end of the night. <laughs> We're we're at Michael's is like we fuck it we don't do that. <laughs> they just grab the tills, put them in a cart, put them in the office, and then we get the hell out of there. Nice. It's my kind. Um, that's my kind of getting the fuck out and going home. So with Coles initially, I didn't mind the idea of them trying to get you to remind you about signups and stuff like that. Uh, but that's like when you got signups. When you don't get any signups. For a Kohl's card, you feel useless, and it's like a real like a blow to your self-esteem every day, because you're just like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not getting people to sign up for, for a Kohl's card? I'm doing everything that these other people are doing, but it's just, it's just not... I just keep getting the people who are like, no, not interested, no. Do you ha- have you memorized by heart what the sales pitch is for the card? Yeah. Well, let's hear it. I got it. Let's hear it. Let's hear your <laughs> I, I don't. I don't I'm, want... If I'm checking out, like... Oh, my God. I don't want to do that right now. Trust me. Okay, fine. I'm not, Mike I'm... wants to keep a shred of his dignity. <laughs> See, that's the difference between you and me, Mike, because I, in a heartbeat, I still remember, hey, welcome to CVS. Let me know if you need help finding anything. And then when they come to check out, uh, hey, how's it going? Uh, do you have your CVS card? All right, cool. Thanks. All right, your totals uh fuck off. <laughs> and uh yeah, that's how I was at CVS. I don't know, man, it's got to be in your sales pitch. It's it's uh it, you, it, also you have to remember wear those push-up bras. Hike them that let's see that cleavage. <laughs> that's how we move cards, buddy. That's how it, we it, That's how we get them factories it's, it, uh, it, it's not it's 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 absolutely 100% not my sales pitch. I'm doing the same thing everyone else is. It's just uh you know, the side of the store that I'm on is a little slower than the other side, so I don't get as many people, and it just seems like the people who come over to this side of the store are the more stingy people who are like, "No, no, that's n- weird. I, I don't do that." And you know, it is what it is. I mean, they legally can't do anything, and I, I so I'll just do the best I can, and that's about it. I just have to like change my mindset and and stop beating myself up over it because it's just not. 
there's no reason for it, but I'm that kind of person sometimes where I I just focus on things too much, and so I'm trying to to work on that. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of tally that they keep of like, mm, yeah. well, Jessica has sold oh, the nine membership cards this month, yeah, yeah, and Mike yeah, has sold yeah. zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't there's want to talk about it and everything. <laughs> Yeah, so I, um, you know, I've just been doing the same old, same old, just, you know, trying to play shows. My band's not as big as I want it to be. Uh, I was thinking about my life the other day while I was mowing the lawn. That's when I when I do a repetitive behavior over and over, like washing the dishes or vacuuming Uh or mowing the lawn. That's interesting. That's when I really start, like, that's when I really get in my head, but not in a bad way, but in a a kind of meditative, um, Uh explorative way. And I just started thinking about how I'm going to be turning 33, um, actually September 2nd. So in in just uh, a little bit more than a week, I'll be turning 33. And I was just thinking about my life and about how like I'm a fucking karaoke DJ. And it's like, how how long can I do this for? Like, how old do I want to be going to places where where the crowd is getting more and more younger than me? Yeah. You know, and like. And then I'm like, you don't want to be a 40 year old karaoke DJ. Not really. I mean, my <laughs> boss did it, but it's just he had more of a how he dressed and how he like carried himself. It, it just seemed more dignified how he did it. Like I kind of already have the stink of like a used car salesman who's down on his luck when I walk into my gigs. I'm just kind of got the five o'clock shadow, the bags under my eyes from drinking the night before. Just. Like, kind of a shitty attitude for the first hour or two that I'm DJing until I start drinking, and then my attitude, uh-huh. kind of like, picks up. So it's like, you know, like, how how long do I want to be this guy and live this life, you know? And Well, I mean, I feel you. I mean, I don't want to be working, you know, retail for the most of my life, but, you know, it, it's just <sighs> the way things are at the moment. So I'm just taking things day by day. And, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm like, already trying to mentally prepare myself for the holiday season because I, I, I guarantee I'm going to be working my ass off for like December, uh, like for November and December. Like it's going to be brutal. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself uh, way ahead of time because I know it's going to be like multiple back to back kind of days, you know, where I'm doing. Uh, one shift over there and then going directly to the other job and it's just going to be like nine ten hour days in a row oh yeah that shit sucks i mean i for being a dj like it's not so bad because all i'm doing is oh i have to dj a a christmas party big fucking deal those are easy like so Mm -hmm. for me it's not like uh we're selling anything where we have all this demand and you need all these people so it's a little bit easier for me but this is gonna be Black Friday, Christmas shopping. Yeah, it's it's yeah. gonna be crazy. I don't know, but I was just thinking, like, I was like, well, what the fuck else can I do with my life? And I was like, well, I wanted to transition more into like doing weddings and being a wedding DJ. Uh huh. Because a, they make more money, and b, it's you know, you can. Yeah. It's it's very common to see a wedding DJ who's older. It's that's not as weird. It, it's weirder to see a young. It's weirder to see a young wedding DJ. Yeah. Uh, so. But COVID kind of fucked all that up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, unless weddings start coming back with a force in 2022, then I, I don't know what's going on with that. So, um, and then I'm thinking to myself, man, if I could, like, have more free time, I could put more, you know, effort and time into my YouTube 
channel and maybe make money off of that. And I don't know. I was just kind of going through all that yeah, in my head. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and then funny story. And then we'll get to the uh, cases here. Um, this is Uncover Unexplained Mysteries podcast, by the way. We do talk about some unexplained mysteries and we got some good ones um, this week. Uh, so I was like literally 30 minutes to an hour before the podcast. Uh, I was, I had to get some groceries. So I went to the grocery store and I see this guy and he keeps, and it's, it's wet over here. It's been raining like this whole summer. Welcome to Florida during the summer. Um, and, and I see this guy like walking from his car and I'm walking from my car and it keeps bending over. And I thought he was like tying his shoe at first, but he like wasn't. And he was doing something with his hands on the ground. I thought maybe he dropped something. And he does it like three separate times. And I'm looking. Mm. And I get in front of him enough to where I see what he's... Dude, he's he's touching his hands to the wet asphalt. And he's getting like rainwater. And he's like putting it to his lips. Or he's he's drinking it. Weird. And he does it like three separate times. And I'm like, dude, no. That is the nastiest water. There is like dried oil on the ground from the cars and like the rubber like residue maybe from that's the that's the way he likes it though <laughs> shit that motherfucker's on crack dude that's the only thing <laughs> I, a normal person would never do that that is the well, most... speaking speaking of people who are on crack well, hold on you know, I'm, uh, I'm not there's a twist uh-oh. to this story there's a twist to the story okay so so of course like the, the old saying goes, you you draw in close to you the things that you fear or the things that you want to repel are always the things that you kind of draw uh-huh. close to you. So, of course, we end up walking into the store at the same exact time to where we're like side by side. And this guy goes, Josh Cannon. And I look over and I see him and it's a dude I went to high school with. Oh, my God. I'm like, what's <laughs> up, Cameron? And we like, I'm so glad he initiated oh, a fist bump wow. instead of a handshake because I did not want to shake that dude's Ooh. hand. So I, so I fist bump him and like we we were never close in high school. I never had uh-huh. a problem with him. He was like one of the football player guys who, um, you know, just kind of he was po- he was pretty popular, but he just. You know, he, he was just always kind of had, like, a nice demeanor about him. He wasn't, like, rude or mean like some of those other uh-huh. motherfuckers. And, um, you know, like, I, I just kind of assumed everyone who went to my high school, Trinity, I mean, it was a private school. You had to have money to go there. I just kind of assumed anyone who graduated from Trinity was kind of, like, go on to do something. I've later found that that's not true. My friend, one of my good friends from there OD'd on heroin, uh like six or seven months ago um because like you know after he got out of trinity he just got well he was always on drugs like anyway that's a different story but yeah i went to school with the guy who was drinking like water from the parking lot and he's and i'm like having small talk with him and feeling so uncomfortable because he's like what's what's been going on man and it's like i hate that question because it's like i don't know man you want me to go through like the last uh uh-huh. 15 to you know 18 years of my life that i haven't and in seen the back you. of your head you're like uh yeah uh, what's going on with you why yeah, are you drinking rainwater yeah, with your hand going on with you? <laughs> and i asked him and you know and i'm kind of like we're like kind of walking together but i'm walking a little bit ahead of him like go away <laughs> and um i was like oh it's good uh, seeing you man and he's like yeah and i see him later on in the grocery store and he's like yo uh, tell everyone i said what's up and i'm like yeah man 
as as if I'm like getting together with everyone that I went to high school with every week, you know, for like <laughs> like you're having your own personal high school reunion. Yeah, every week. Every it's weekend. like, oh yeah, Cameron. Yeah, man. He said, "What's up?" I, he also drinks rainwater uh, from uh, parking lots in in really bad neighborhoods, uh, like the uh, you know the Winn Dixie or whatever. Yeah, he's uh yeah he's kind of fucked in the head now. I think. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. That was that. That was very weird. And I thought as soon as that happened, because I knew I was going to do the podcast today, I was like, "Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> sharing that story." So, so anyway, um, we're covering two cases from the beloved unsolved mysteries. Uh, yeah, got some some good cases. We uh, have a case uh, that's uh, from the vault that we're going to start out with from season two. So this is a old school. When they're recording uh, with the the old Panavision cameras, yeah, this is this is a, a, a classic uh, unsolved mysteries fraud. Segment. Yes, they could have, dude. They could have easily made a fraud DVD for the uh, the box sets that they released. <laughs> I know. Easily could have done that. Don't know why they didn't. Some of my they favorite. They might segments. have done it. They might have done it if the sales were better, because apparently I read something that the sales for the the sets were not that great. That's a shame. They, they didn't sell as much as uh, First Look thought, and that makes sense, especially when it comes to like the ones they made the most of, which were UFOs and ghosts, like UFOs in particular. There's there is still like a shit ton of backstock of UFOs sets by First Look. Damn. So that show was like le- like legit one of the top rated shows for a long time on NBC. I know. Like how the fuck did they not sell well? I think maybe it didn't sell well because maybe fans were like these are just segments. These aren't actually the full episode. Yeah, that's true. Or it was another thing where at that time reruns were still on Lifetime, I think. So people were like why do I need to buy the DVD? I can just watch it on Lifetime. Well, I, there's, I can tell you that, I mean, as you very well know, there's a very rabid, uh, rabid oh, yeah. uh, community for... Rabid. <laughs> rabid. Rabid uh, community of people who are seeking yeah. the Unsolved Mysteries episodes. Yeah, diehard fans, for sure. Uh, I still remember when we were like one of the first podcasts to talk about the show, and then... After the show uh, appeared on Amazon through Film Rise, then it was just this massive amount of other podcasts that started flowing in. Yeah, the Ultimate co- Collection box set. I'm looking on eBay now. I'm seeing prices as high as eight hundred and fifty. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Nobody's paying that much. Yeah, let me no see. No one's paying that much. Let me for see it. the sold. Let me see what the the sold items like. How much they were? How much they sold for? Uh, oh, this one sold for two hundred and sixteen. That must have been something yeah. wrong with that one. This one sold yeah, for four hundred and five yeah. two seventy. Yeah, those eight hundred. That's that's way too high. I guess it depends on the condition. Maybe one of them yeah. was sealed or something. Well, even if it is sealed, it's still not. You're not going to get a buyer to, to spend that much. I mean, especially now that everything's on, like... And I don't think there's any forbidden segments that were on the Ultimate Collection. There were a couple. Oh, were there? Yeah, uh, in the Ghost uh, uh, set, remember, they had the Tallman House. 
Oh, right, right. That's true. Yeah, that, that shit, that one's... Why the hell would you leave that out? There must be some kind of... Th- we, I think we already figured that out. Yeah, it was some legal thing. Okay. Anyway, this is a case of Gene Flannis. <laughs> His real name, Nils Eugene Flannis. Funny, because nil, it means nothing. Which, this well, guy is a... Well, he's a nothing he, person, He is so. a nothing person. <laughs> and boy, does this guy look like a Gene Flannis. Old, white guy... Uh, you know, slick back hair, got the big kind of rectangular glasses that old people in the 90s wore, uh, just the, like a light blue kind of halfway between leisure suit and regular suit, just classic old guy from like that, like if you had grandparents in the 90s, how they dressed, that's this guy. Like this is the guy that you would see. He at definitely church. looked like a. He definitely looked like someone that worked at a bank too. Yeah, this is this. This would have been one of the the deacons at your local ba- Baptist church. Well, he was. He was a preacher. Yeah, at a local church. So anyway, let's dig into this guy's uh, closet of skeletons here. Investment broker Gene Flannis is wanted for bilking several elderly investors. Out of over $4 million in the town of Hot Springs, Arkansas, Flannis was a popular businessman who often helped organize charity events, like the annual charity golf event. That sounds fun. He was also a lay preacher at a local church and fundraiser for the local cancer society. So, lay preacher, does that mean like he wasn't that good at it? He wasn't officially, like... ordained? I don't know for sure. I don't I don't know. It probably means he that, wasn't... Orf- that term... It probably means he wasn't officially ordained and he was just kind of yeah. doing it. Yeah, that term doesn't really ring a bell, but maybe it's like a volunteer preacher kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that he's, like, raising funds for the Cancer Society and he's such a scumbag that he set up a pyramid scheme <laughs> to steal $4 million from elderly people is is just... It was just, uh, it's just crazy to me, you know, the lengths that some people will go to to create this facade that they are upstanding citizens, but in reality, they're just scumbags who are just trying to take advantage of other people. It goes back to the old sociopath definition that we've defined on here many times. Mm-hmm. Someone who is like an alien who pre- who pretends to act like a human being but really has no kind of human emotions behind what they're doing. Flannis owned and operated a company called Nefco, which sounds like a made-up company, which was targeted towards the financial needs of the retired community. After working for years to accumulate their life savings, they needed to maximize their monthly interest earnings. Nefco promised retirees increased quarterly payments through a special arrangement with the Kemper Group, Many customers were impressed by the group and felt that their money was the safest with them. By 1988, the year of Josh's birth, Flannis' reputation and high interest rates had attracted over 100 clients who invested over $4 million through Nefco. At the beginning of each quarter, many would receive checks from the Nefco accounts. Along with these checks, a corroborating Kemper financial statement was enclosed. The statements appeared to be official. I mean, he even had this one guy who's interviewed who was a victim of, of genes, and he's talking about how, you know, when I look at uh, a potential investment, I, I I don't really 
look at who I think it was like, I don't look at the bank. I don't look at any of that. I look at where the money comes from and everything looked official and it was from Kemper and it was a business that I knew about and I trusted. And then another thing that sold him was it looked like it was typed up on a computer. The letter. <laughs> yeah. It was on a computer. It wasn't handwritten on a piece of notebook paper. This was on a, it was on a computer. It's got to be real. But at that time, though, not everyone could just have access to a word processing program and, and make yeah. a, a fake you know, letterhead. And Photoshop was either non, non-existent or, or uh, in its infancy. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, for 10 years, these checks arrived on time. I mean, that's what's crazy about this. It's, it's 10 years. For that's 10 what, years, that's what we call he the led long these con. people along. Exactly. One of the longest cons I remember from this show is this case. However, in early April of 1988, as tax time approached, several investors became concerned when their money did not arrive. Investors tried unsuccessfully to contact Flannis, asking about their checks. When they went to his office, they were told he was out of town. How convenient. Office manager Tammy Sorter had the difficult job of trying to calm down and reassure the angry investors. I felt so bad for Tammy. Like, can you imagine being in her shoes? This is, a, this in that is an situation? example where the reenactment conveyed like properly the emotions of yes. like what was be, what would be going on in that situation. Absolutely, she's just flanked by all these geriatrics who are like just yelling at her. Where's my money? Why well, I can't believe he ain't here. He didn't even leave a a statement or anything. And she's like, I'm sorry, I just can't get in touch with him. I don't know what to tell you. You know, and it's truly not her fault. She's no. you know. No. She, she's just the, the doo-doo boy, or the doo-doo girl, rather. Um, so, when they went to his office, they were told he was out of town. She had to calm him down. She believed, she believed that everything was okay and that Flannis would deal with everything when he returned. When Flannis left town, one of his associates flew to the main office of the Kemper Group in Chicago to find out firsthand why the delays were occurring. Now, this is, this is some real gumption right here this is this is putting some elbow grease into the problem proactive he asked to speak to the kemper executive in charge of the nefco account he was shocked to find the executive did not exist he also discovered that the 328 accounts that were supposed to be there had never existed either on that same day flannis called his office when he learned of his associate's trip to chicago he swiftly found an excuse to hang up he has not spoken to his employees or investors since. And uh, that same uh, employee, that same associate of his, he, the, he also discovered that there was only like $926 remaining in one of the accounts, like the main account. Yeah. Like it was the, just $926. The, the, um, I am ripping you off, and this is my pyramid scheme account for my, yeah. own, per- my own personal uses account. That he had yeah, already there was supposed to be four million dollars in there, and there was only nine hundred and twenty-six dollars left. <clears throat> yeah, well, that, that's what's left over after his hookers and cocaine and you know fancy cars. FBI investigators discovered that Flannis had developed a pyramid scheme by stringing along old investors through the financial contributions of new recruits. For ten years, he had covered his tracks by preparing his own fraudulent Kemper statements. 
One investor and her husband had lost $100,000. Another lost $60,000, which prevented him from helping his children with their financial issues. Well, it didn't seem like it. they had a lot of, like, he just said, oh, I don't have any leftover to help, you know, the kids in the future. But it, from what the interview provided, it didn't seem like it, the kids were, like, really financially strapped. Well, he was basically um, just saying, "When I die, I have nothing to leave them yeah, now." Yeah, exactly. And then, but then he's also talking about how, "Oh, the back bedroom, I'm not going to be able to finish that. It's yeah. still unfinished." Which, so again, you 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 have kind of the least amount of sympathy for that guy. But the big one was the couple that lost over three hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, and then the 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 gal and her husband. And, lost a hundred thousand, and so now they're un- they're unable to pay their bills, and the husband mm-hmm. has to take up a nearly full time job at a store in Hot Springs to help make ends meet. And he's you know talking about in the interview, he's like you know, like this is this is a must. Like I have to work this job. This isn't a optional thing. He was about to cry at one point in that interview too, and you, you don't blame him. You know, all his life's work just completely gone. Just taken yeah. away from him, and he has to go back to work at you know some dead end job to for four days a week to earn four dollars an hour. I think I would have like like cold sweat anxiety, like being f- like faced with that reality of like, oh my god, I'm like coming full. It's circle. all gone. I'm coming full circle back to my early twenties when I when I worked a dead end job, but at least my whole life was ahead of me then. Yeah. So, um, and, and then with the, the, uh, gal and her husband, like her husband pretty soon after, uh, their money was, uh, was, uh, taken from them. Uh, he had a heart attack and so he was dealing with a lot of health issues and this whole thing just, just continually would provide him with stress every day, which would make the complications worse even after, uh, heart surgery and everything. And uh, I, I like it when she's interviewed, she says something along the lines, I don't hold grudges against people in general, but with Jean, I'll make an exception. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and like her words had weight because she's yeah. you know, an older lady and, you know, did not seem like someone who just makes these kind of you know outlandish statements she seemed very Mm -hmm. like you know fuck you for real uh Mm -hmm. and and there was a lot of sobering stuff in in these interviews like when she's talking about how when you're in your mid-60s and something like this happens it's harder for you to actually recoup it's nearly impossible to recoup what you lost. And, and then it just puts a lot of things in perspective. You're like, man, like, yeah, like what, like if you had to like go back to the workforce and get another job, like if you're in your mid sixties, you sadly, you are going to get that uh, instance where people aren't going to hire you because they think you're too old. Well, technically that by law, they can't do that. That's illegal. That's, they do it, though. Oh, they do it, yeah, but they're not supposed to. I had a couple older people that worked with me at CVS, um, and they did it for various reasons. 
Um, yeah. One, one lady who was literally older than Moses, um, she did it because there was some loophole with her um, social social security or some kind of insurance to where she had to work like a minimum of 15 hours a week. And so yeah. that's the exact amount she yeah. worked. And uh-huh. so the guy, John, he, uh, he, I think he just kind of liked working and John, yeah. John was great. Like he was like, he, to look at him, you're, you're like, good Lord, this guy looks scary. He looked like one of the, his face looked like one of the Nazis from uh, Indiana Jones when their face begins oh to melt. <laughs> his face kind of looked like that. I'm not going to lie. But my oh, God, he man. was so funny and he was dirty. Like the jokes, like I would, I would, I started to catch on that. Like he could hang with my sense of humor and and we would say the dirtiest jokes to each other. And I just loved that he was that, that he old. was like, Don Rickles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I loved that he was that old and still, you know, and wasn't because you know most pe- old people I'd known my entire life growing up were they at least acted like they were these like just stately, very puritanical kind of people who never even said damn a day in their life, and like he, really responsible. Yeah, and here's John yeah. talking about me talking about like, oh, you know what, what you know what kind of favor are you going to do if. Uh, for for me to let you go on break first, John. And he's like, "Well, these teeth can come out, Josh." Uh, talking about his fake teeth. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, dude, this guy's awesome. <laughs> this guy's the shit. And unfortunately, passed away from a oh, heart attack, which really yeah. bummed me out. But mm-hmm. I mean, I I even remember talking to John and being like, "John, are you afraid of death?" And he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not afraid of death. I think I was a lot more afraid of it when I was around your age. But now I'm fine. Whenever it's my time, it's my time." So I mean, he he was just awesome. Yeah. Feel bad for his wife though, because like they were still mm-hmm. like really in love and all that. All right, that's depressing. So anyway, um, the a lot of these people's children were able to help them pay their bills. Thankfully, uh, along with Flannis, uh, over four million dollars had disappeared. An FBI probe into his background turned up some startling information. In the late 1940s and 50s, he had been arrested for forgery and grand theft. He had spent several years in a California prison. In tracking Flannis, the FBI also discovered that he had sold his car to a dealer in Dallas on April 11, 1988. After that, he flew to Vegas, gambled heavily, and disappeared. <laughs> Just typical, like, typical yeah. shit you do once you con people out of a lot of money. Exactly. We're going to Vegas. Many of his victims... And then you're going to get conned out of your money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, it's not really your money. The circle point, of but... fucking life, bitch. Yeah. Many of his victims have been forced to have their retirement in order to pay bills. One victim suffered a heart attack and is still recuperating. Yeah. His victims hope that he can be captured so that they can have their money returned. That's not going to happen, dude. Even if he... no, uh, they're all dead no. now anyway because that was that was like a thirty year old segment. But you know, so I mean, that's I mean, at least they don't got to worry about it anymore. Flannis was uh, indicted by a grand jury in November of 88 on mail and wire fraud charges. Um, And the results were he was captured. Uh, In July of 1991, Gene Flannis was arrested in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Of course, he fled to Florida. (laughs) Dude, we need to have our own Statue of Liberty in Florida, right at the border. Give us your your fraudsters, your murderers, your rapists, your drug addicts. You know, like with that needs all to convicts. Be, Give yeah, us your convicts. <laughs> yeah, your 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 Dodgers of of uh, the law. We will take them all. Jesus, man, I try to have pride <laughs> in my state. 
and it's just impossible. Um, he was living in Okaloosa Island under the name Dick Blakemore and ran a small mail-order business. He was taken back to Arkansas to stand trial for fraud. He later pleaded guilty to the charges. Uh, the sentence he received is not known. Flannis died on May 29th. 2009 at the age of 86 yeah he lived a long life uh but for uh those that were uh victimized and had uh their life savings uh stolen from them by gene may they rest in peace yeah but i mean for Jesus. gene may you rest in hell seriously like fuck gene i guess dick, the statement of like dick blakemore like that's that's a fitting um uh, that's almost like he knew he was a a dick. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm a dick. I'll go. I'll use that as my pseudonym." Oh God, Mike. <laughs> as my my other name. I guess I guess it's the statement of uh, the good die young and the pieces of shit live forever. That is a very true statement. Because good lord, eighty six. I mean, clearly he had no guilty conscience about anything. He slept like a fucking baby, gambling. Yeah. I'm assuming. Uh, there's got there there. Ha- I mean, if you're gonna gamble, you you got to be drinking and do- and snorting coke off a stripper's ass. I mean, that's that goes hand in well, hand. Well, I I don't know. It depends. Some people are are you know really heavy gamblers, but their their vice is gambling, and that's like their only. Vice. Well, I should say people who defraud people and then go and gamble. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that there's anything wrong with snorting a line of coke off a stripper's ass if that's what you're into. <laughs> I'm not the moral arbiter of anyone's life, okay? So yeah, that was the case of um, of a slippery Gene Flannis. Yep, Nils. Old Nils Flannis. So, uh, the next case is the case of Rachel Timmerman. This is uh, from season 10 of Unsolved Mysteries, I think this was still during the Lifetime era, I think, like during maybe like the first season of the Lifetime era. So going from a season two segment to this, you can definitely tell that there's a pretty significant shift in the atmosphere and the mood and the way that things are edited and the the quality of the reenactments. Um, And it's also another one of those where I think there is some stock footage from other uh, episodes from the earlier seasons. That's something that I've started to notice with these uh, later episodes, these uh, episodes from the later seasons is that they're using stock footage from like season three. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. This is, this is the case of Rachel Timberman of Cedar Springs, Michigan. Uh, she came from a broken home and was just 17 when she had her daughter, Shannon. On the night of August 7th, 1996, Rachel, then 18, left a party with 43-year-old Marvin Gabrion, a family friend, and two other men. Now, in the reenactment, like to be fair, there is a, a photo of Marvin Gabrion, and he does look very similar to this guy. But it's just... The, the the mustache this guy has it's just so ridiculous to me like it's like pencil thin it almost looks like it could be curled into like a you know a curly coup like uh the bad guy from Dudley do right snidely whiplash 
I love how you had that guy's name just on like just right on the, the off the top of your head. I I would have never remembered that guy's name. <laughs> so he he looked like he was a a cartoon villain, and he definitely was a villain. That's for sure. Piece of shit. So. After stopping in a field, Marvin ordered the other two men out of the car and then drove off with Rachel. He then violently beat her and raped her three times. Ugh. God. She told her mother, Velda, that she was afraid to press charges because Marvin had said that if she did, he would kill both her and Shannon. However, the next day, she reported the rape to the police. After a six-month investigation on January 20th of 1997, Marvin was arrested and charged with rape. He was released on bail two weeks later. According to Rachel's family, the rape had a horrible effect on her, both physically and mentally. She had much difficulty trusting others. And, and you can't blame her, because Marvin's uh, was a guy. he was a guy that she trusted. And he completely destroyed that trust. I mean, then again, you know, if you're you're hanging out with someone with the reputation of the town bully, it's kind of like yeah. I mm, mean, you know, yeah, be a little bit more scrupu- scrupulous in your choice of people that you yeah, associate with. Un- understandable, but at the same time, it, it's one of those things where I I don't think she probably expected him to go to that length right and i mean i'm not it i'm not trying like, to like victim shame or anything i'm just saying like yeah. i think sometimes people just don't really like they're too trusting of like oh yeah this guy's seems sketchy but he's probably fine you know i've always just been uh-huh. really like i try to stay away from that shit I-, I think what was going on though is maybe she thought initially it could be sketchy but then she got to know him and then they actually became somewhat close and so she felt comfortable around him she let her guard down. Oh, and might I say, the guy in the reenactment looks nothing like uh, the actual guy. The like no, the, the guy. No, they, they tried to do the they they tried to have him uh, show off the the mustache in one of the later mug shots. He but looked like he that, looked like yeah. fucking Mario from Mario Brothers in the reenactment, <laughs> and, yeah. and the actual guy look looks nothing like that. His face is is completely different, sh- differently shaped. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, like 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 uh, Marvin Gabriel looks kind of like Sean Penn a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, and a little the, bit. Yeah, and the guy that they had in the recreation looked like fucking Mario Cab Driver. <laughs> like, what the? Their casting choices are so fucking off sometimes. Like, yeah, it's like they don't even try. So, in the months following the rape, Rachel attempted to turn her life around. She began focusing her time on Shannon, her family, and her work at a local restaurant. However, as the date for Marvin's preliminary hearing came closer, she worried about having to testify against him. She told her parents that he had threatened her several times. She also said that she was having reoccurring nightmares about him and believed that he would kill her. Uh, speaking of reenactments real quick, the actress who played uh, Rachel, I'm sorry, she was really bad. So, uh, I, I, that really did stand out to me. Like the the guy who played Gabriel, like yeah, he doesn't look like Gabriel at all. But I thought at least he was a believable scumbag. He, he had the he had the tood. Yeah, but the actress who played Rachel, like the acting when she's supposed to be like scared or whatever, was pretty laughable. 
Also, another thing, um, I just, I'm a nerd for this kind of shit, so I picked it up. When they're interviewing the dad, Rachel's dad, he was saying, you know, she was doing good. She got, she was working at, Mc, uh, I mean, the restaurant. She, like, he, he almost slipped up and said McDonald's, but I, yeah. gu- I, I guarantee you the producer was like, oh, yeah, we can't actually use, like, actual names of fast food places unless it, uh-huh. like, really pertains to the story. So uh, can you just call it a restaurant? And he, Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll do a take two. And so then he has a slip up where he goes, yeah, she had a job working at Mick, uh, the restaurant. Uh, <laughs> I just thought, I, I'm, an, I'm a nerd for that yeah. kind of shit. I thought that was funny. So, uh, however, as the date for uh, Marvin's hearing came closer, you know, she had her, the nightmares about believing that he would kill her. Her father, Tim, told her that he would help her with the trial. And in the interviews with her father, like he comes across as like a really nice guy. You know, you definitely do feel for him. Maybe a bit naive, maybe a bit naive of a guy, but nice. Nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Naive, but, but nice. Uh, it kind of gives off Ned Flanders vibes a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of does, you know, but like with a different, you know, with a Midwestern, I, th- I think it's in the Midwest. Isn't Michigan in- considered in the Midwest? I could be wrong. Um, but, you know, this kind of, you know, that typical accent from, well, you, you know. Said, you said you're going, uh, you're moving away and you want to start a new life. I mean, I guess that's fun and you got a job and that that sounds great. I mean, uh, I was I was just happy to hear from her, you know. Oakley, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, he said uh, that he would help her with the trial. However, according to her parents, on June 3rd of 1997, she seemed happy. She told Tim that she was going on a date with a man and that the man told her to bring Shannon along. She also told Tim that she would be home within a few hours, but that time came and went. She and Shannon did not return and were never seen again. The next day, Tim received a letter allegedly from Rachel like this case says like everything. Like you have a, a really like harrowing start to everything with the rape and all of that. That's really messed up and every and and just awful. But it, it's it's a good way to to grab your attention. And then like there's just all these other mysteries and all this other stuff that just keeps coming at you with this case. So now you have these strange letters that. Uh, people are starting to receive in the mail. So her father receives a letter. It said that she was going on vacation. He was concerned because she had just started her job and was supposed to testify soon. So he was like, why would she go on vacation? On June 5th, Marvin had his preliminary hearing, but Rachel did not show up without her testimony. Authorities were forced to drop the rape charges against him Eleven days later, the prosecutor for the case also received a letter, allegedly from Rachel, that was postmarked from Little Rock, Arkansas. It said that she had tried to have sex with Marvin, but when he refused, she made up the rape <laughs> allegation. Yeah, because that's totally believable. Yeah. That's like yeah. they, a man totally wrote that fucking letter. Like, or he forced her to write or, that. You're right, but uh, like that, that, that rationale, yeah. that that level of bullshit could only come from the mind of a male. When when uh, you know, when he refused to have sex with me, I would teach him. Like she was just throwing, like this 18 year old is throwing herself at you, and you're gonna be like, no, no, stop! I don't want to do it. I have morals. I want to get to know you first. Yeah, right. 
Like any guy's gonna <laughs> do that, especially a guy who looks like Sean Penn in the movie Bad Boys. <laughs> not the one with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. There's another Bad Boys out there that's a yeah. lot better than that movie, and it it flies under the radar because it somehow is able to have the same exact name as the other movie. I don't know if I would say it's better. Like it, it's a good drama. It, it's one of those things where they're two different kinds of films, so it's kind of hard to compare the two. But the prosecutor did not believe that she wrote the letter, understandably so. I mean, I don't know why anyone would believe that. Someone who was raped three times is all of a sudden going to write a letter and be like, uh, uh, it wasn't real. Even though there was like medical uh, uh, evidence and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, did they even bring that part up that there was like actual medical evidence? You know, because in the letter they mentioned that she was in the hospital. Yeah, right. But but like like later on the letter, she's saying when he wouldn't have sex with me, I wanted to teach him a lesson. Well, there's physical proof that sex was had that night. Yeah, exactly. So it's like that. That story holds zero water whatsoever. No. So, uh, the prosecutor also believed that Rachel was in danger. The same day, her father, Tim, also received a letter postmarked from Little Rock. It was uh, allegedly written by Rachel as well, and said that she and Shannon were fine, and that she would soon call him. However, she never did. So, that's the one where he was a little naive there. He just believed it. Well, sounds good. I mean, you sound happy, and you got a job out there, got a way to make money, and that's great. And, you know, some people are just that way. And he does come across as that kind of uh, person. Honestly, my mom would believe it if I just, like, wrote her a letter or something that said I decided to move and go, you know, like, I think she would probably believe that for me. Yeah. Um, I don't think my parents, because I don't really communicate in letters. (laughs) Well, yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, like, if I sent her a text, well, I don't know. Yeah. A text might be a little, like... I don't know. She'd probably expect me to at least call her with that kind of information. Yeah. So she never called her father back. Uh, Two weeks later, on the morning of July 5th, the decomposed body of a young woman was found at Oxford Lake. It was later identified as Rachel's. Now, this is brutal. And I'm just going to give you a warning ahead of time. Like this, This is some really brutal stuff. So... Rachel had been wrapped in chains, which had cement blocks padlocked to them. She also had duct tape over her mouth and eyes. And disturbingly, the autopsy determined that she had drowned. And not only that, she had been thrown into the lake while she was still alive. I mean, when I first heard that, I, I was just speechless. I was just like, oh my god. That's just horrible. Like, can you imagine that? Ter- terrifying. It'd be a terrifying yeah. way to die. Absolutely. It's the right up there with the guy who may have been conscious when he got dipped into the Dave, smelter or Dave whatever. box, yeah. He got dipped yeah. into the fucking, essentially a lava pit. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But if this time around, you're just, you're You've got duct tape over your eyes and your mouth. You're chained to these cement blocks and you're thrown into this lake and you can't escape, can't do anything. You just got to slowly, it's asphyxiate, you know, I can't say the word for some reason. (laughs) 
You got you just slowly drown to death. Like awful. Just horrendous. And what a just like fucked up way. I mean, that just that just that's a, that's uh definitely the kind of uh thing that somebody would do to punish someone. That guy probably, yeah. that bot guy probably got off on how much control he had over her yeah. and, and how much, you know, look at what I'm able to do and all that shit. You know, you didn't fucking... want to be with me, so I, you know, I'm going to teach you I'm going to show you not to to mess with me. Big man. Yeah. Awful. Horrible. So, no trace of Shannon was found in the lake. Authorities theorize that whoever kidnapped Rachel forced her to write the letters on June 3rd. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like <laughs> those are letters that are that are coming from uh, a, a natural mindset. Uh, it definitely seems like letters that are coming from the perspective of somebody who is being forced to write what's on the page. So after dumping her into the lake, the killer then mailed them. From the beginning, there was one obvious suspect, Marvin Gabrion. Authorities went to his home and found cinder blocks on his property that matched those found tied to Rachel's body. Oops. Authorities now believed that he killed her in order to prevent her from testifying against him at the trial, uh, which is something that he said to her, if I remember correctly. He was like, I will kill you, and I will kill your baby if you testify against me. So, uh, authorities now believe that he killed her. However, he fled the area before police could arrest him. Curiously, though, because this case just gets even crazier, because not only do you have, like, uh, the um, initial uh, crime that started this whole thing, but then it escalates to murder, then you have all these mysterious letters, and now you have these accomplices of Marvin's who have also disappeared. So, Marvin was not the only person that turned up missing during the police investigation. The first person to do so was Wayne Davis, a friend of Marvin's, who was also one of the two men kicked out of the car on the night of Rachel's rape. He had agreed to testify against Marvin at his trial, but he vanished a few days after Marvin was released from jail. John Weeks was the second person to go missing, he was an acquaintance of Marvin's and a friend of Rachel's who had asked her out on a date a few weeks prior to her death. He was later identified as the person that picked her up and picked her and Shannon up on the day of their disappearances. He vanished in late uh, June 1997. Authorities brought in the FBI to investigate the bizarre case and discovered that Marvin was using the alias Robert Allen. The real Robert Allen is a, is a transient who vanished in 1995. Authorities believe that all three men were murdered by Marvin. And they were all people who were somewhat uh, uh, friends with or were acquaintances of uh, Gabriel's. I just think it's kind of uh, impressive in some ways, like how he was able to get away with that much for so long. And it's but like. But then again, it's. It's like did did this all just start from like a party gone gone bad like he drank too much and then he decides to like rape that girl and 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 it just like triggers this like whole killing spree and like all from one 
Yeah. Really awful decision. All all this other chain of events, like this huge domino effect happens. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, it, it is one of those things that is kind of crazy to think about, like how we're just able to get away with like so much in, in such a, a condensed period of time. Uh, but also back then, I, well, no, it was the late 90s, right? So there was still like a fair amount of uh, forensics and stuff like that. Yeah, they were definitely starting to use DNA back in that, that, at that time. So in October of 1997, Marvin was arrested in Sherman, New York. He was found to be cashing Robert Allen's social security checks. That wasn't very smart. <laughs> so he was smart enough to do all this uh, stuff to cover his tracks when it comes to killing uh, uh, Shannon. Uh, well, I mean, killing. Well, he, I mean, it's it's safe to assume that he did kill Shannon too. So covering all his tracks in terms of killing Rachel and her baby and then all these other accomplices of his, but then he wasn't smart enough to not cash social security checks from this guy that he killed. <laughs> you know, they've always got that one stupid fuck up, like, uh, what the uh, Al Capone and, and be like being brought down by tax evasion. Yeah. Or the BTK killer who was like, yeah, I'll send you these floppy disks <laughs> cops. Yeah. And then they were like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> now we know. Who, now we know uh, who you are. And, uh, uh, now we're able to cross reference things. And, uh, wow. It looks like you're the guy who wrote these uh, typed up these, uh, messages that were put on lampposts and stuff like that, that are, from the BTK killer. So, all right, we got gotcha. you. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> so a few days later, he appeared at an identity hearing in New York. Initially, he denied that he was Marvin, but uh, the identity was soon confirmed. Although he's a prime suspect in Rachel's case, he has not yet been charged. Uh, apparently this case is unresolved. Uh, in June of 1999, Marvin was officially indicted for Rachel's murder. Several witnesses claimed to have seen him with her and another man believed to be John Weeks near Oxford Lake the day after she vanished. The witnesses recalled him driving a distinct pickup truck with a boat attached. Two days after that, his neighbor saw him dragging a metal boat on his gravel driveway. The neighbor also saw him pulling out two life vests, three concrete blocks, and a length of chain from the boat. He then pulled it into his garage and ground off the serial numbers. (laughs) couldn't be more obvious yeah you just just over there in your front yard just grinding off serial numbers off your phone that's a normal thing to do i mean you know maybe he just doesn't like numbers in a series you know like that and then here just... comes the neighbors and be like hi hi marvin how are you doing today oh that's marvin you know how he hates numbers that go in a sequence it's just a thing of his it's a tick you know it bothers him so when police searched Marvin's home, they found two keys that matched the padlocks found on Rachel's body. Also, the concrete blocks at his home were stained with the same tar and paint materials as those attached to Rachel's body. Marvin's nephew later led investigators to his campsite near Oxford Lake. They found bolt cutters, another length of shiny chain, duct tape, a woman's hair clip, and silicone nipples for a baby bottle. Several witnesses also testified to Marvin's propensity for violence. Two described how each of their homes had been set afire shortly after a disagreement with him. 
It's just fucking nuts. God. I think this town was a little like, uh, they're a little tame in their terming him the town bully. I think they, they could have gone with a little town bit. psychopath. A little bit more of an intense superlative than bully. Oh, he's just a bully. Just a big bully. That's all. Uh, yeah, he's just Tom Arnold in, in, in big bullies. He's not, he's not, he's not going to harm you. So another described how he began shooting a bolt-action rifle towards his home after he told him to leave a party there. Yeah, definitely just a run-of-the-mill bully. Nothing to see here. Big bully. That's all you uh, are. An- <laughs> another described how he trained a rifle on her and her two-year-old child as she walked to her car one day and then climbed into his car i guess had followed them for miles another testified as to how he sexually assaulted her in her home another testified that he beat and kicked him punched his wife in the face and then punched his teenage son after the witness interrupted a card game to retrieve heart medicine for his uncle They're like coming up with the most brutal scenarios that anyone could be a dick in, and, and like yeah. he just he just checks all the boxes. Exactly. Did he like kick some old lady down the stairs too? I mean, geez, that's the only thing that's missing. Did he shoot someone's dog? Did he grab a cat by its tail and swing it around his head? <laughs> <laughs> God. Now we now we're seeing inside the brain of Mike. So, uh, yet another said that uh, Marvin claimed he could shoot anyone in the neighborhood. The next day, his house was shot at by him. In uh, March 2002, a federal jury convicted Marvin in Rachel's murder. He was later sentenced to death. Wayne Davis's body was found in July of 2002. He was killed in a similar fashion as Rachel, and Marvin remains the prime suspect. However, Shannon Verhage, John Weeks, and Robert Allen remain missing. Marvin appealed his sentence and a conviction, but it was upheld in 2006. In 2011, his death sentence was overturned. However, it was reinstated in 2013. Investigators are almost certain that Shannon is deceased. While waiting, while awaiting trial for Rachel's murder, Marvin gave another prisoner a map of Oxford Lake, on which he had written, Body of Three, One Found. While incarcerated, he also told two mates that he killed the baby because there was nowhere else to put it. Yes. Yeah, he's I mean, definitely one of the biggest pieces of shit that I, I think I've seen covered on this show. I mean, I'm typically not like a big death penalty guy, but when it comes to someone like this who is just a habitual piece of shit and it doesn't really show any reason why uh like he doesn't he doesn't show that he's like someone there's no remorse yeah his, the beha- the behavior's probably not never going to change it's like this guy just needs to be eliminated from our society period he's not adding anything to it he's because being a if he's incarcerated and, and he's with other inmates he's probably you know influencing them you know or, and or, showing or, causing violence to them yeah causing violence to them but he's also probably influencing them by you know hey look at this map you know i killed three people uh over at this lake and it, and there's like a, and only one of them has been found fuck that guy uh 
I hope I hope he uh does get the death penalty. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry for my yawning. Sorry to interrupt your currently scheduled programming, but since Eggman insists that all I do is promote my band, I'm going to do just that. Here's some songs, a uh, little taste, little clips from uh, some of our more favorite tracks from my band Dancing with Ghosts. And if you want to hear more, head on over to Spotify, Apple Mu- Music, Google Play, if that's still a thing, uh, YouTube, everywhere, and uh, listen to more. So now we're going to move on to our next segment called The Perks of Being a Josh Flower, where I read diary entries out of this online journal that I kept for about 10 years from age 14 to 24. Uh, The website was Zanga.com, spelled X-A-N-G-A, because I see some people spell with a Z, which, you know, no one would fault you for that. Anyway, uh, these are things... At this point, it seems like this series is turning into uh, podcast therapy. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, the earlier entries were, was, like, uh, like a very teenage Josh in the dog days of puberty, being horny as hell, girls not validating me or acknowledging my existence... Basically, like a straight up Elliot Roger type of uh, uh, what do they call those uh, involuntary uh, incel? I was an incel, just like the, the perfect and lots of emo hair flipping. Yes, and then as it moved <laughs> on, it went from that to like more darker, like my uh, mental health issues and all that, and and that's kind of where we're at now. So we're gonna resume. Uh, this is from Monday, November second, two thousand and nine. So, it's been a while, Zanga. Actually, less than a month, but whatever. So, I bring you updates to my life. So, so Jesus, can I start? Am I going to start every sentence with so on, on this entry? <laughs> so, so, so me and Caroline are long gone. I haven't talked to her in a very long time, but I still think about her a lot, and I miss her sex. I think I'm going to call her today. I still think about death, but it honestly doesn't uh, so much bother me like it used to. I've also correlated that my anxiety levels having to do with life is almost directly proportionate to my fear of death levels, or when I'm bored and I'm just typing a we- in a web blog like a loser. I'm working at CVS. I don't know if I told you guys that or not, oh, but I am. This is like the start of that chapter of your yep. life. I started out in the pharmacy on like the second week. The pharmacy sucked, but I got used to it. But apparently I wasn't, quote, good enough for them. So they moved me out of the pharmacy. Whatever, man. People can suck my balls. My learning curve is (laughs) 
low, <laughs> so it takes me quite a while to learn things that would come more easily to others. I think I, what I meant to say, my learning curve is high. And the thing that sucked worst about working at CVS was something called Truck Day. Truck Day consists of me waking up at 3 a.m. and being there at 4. Then I would unload these fucking awkward... Fuck that. Right? I am not... I, I will never do a shift like that. Oh, that's the only reason Felipe hired me initially. He's like, because I, I like he said, if I ever called out on truck day, he would fire me because he said, that's the only reason I hired you. I needed an extra guy to help me with truck. And he gave me other shifts, too. But he said, like, that's that's like my main reason that I'm working there. So I, there was no getting out of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's shit like this that has that has really scarred me on like 40 hour a week jobs, like just your normal kind of jobs. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's this kind of shit. So, Shark Day consists of me waking up at 3 a.m., being there at 4. Then I would unload these fucking awkward, heavy-ass gray containers called totes. I would then bring the totes inside the store and unpack them. They were full of merchandise of all kinds. That sucked! No one should have to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning. No one. Now, I just got into photo at CVS, so I don't have to do truck day anymore. Fuck right! Man, REM <laughs> fucking rocks. They are such an underrated band. Okay, I that uh, one of my tr- just <laughs> classic tangents and flip turns to another topic. I'm surprised you didn't just say. I thought I thought you would have said fuck yeah, not, not fuck right. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, I, I I don't know. Yeah, but man, the day I got into photo and I didn't have to do truck anymore, my god, my life. Because just... I'm just about to the. I don't have to be on truck anymore. Fuck right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck right! Hell yeah! Arm pump. <laughs> so now I'm think I'm t- talking about how much REM rocks. They're in such an underrated band. They're really Josh. They're really not an underrated band. They're they not sold underrated. like millions of records, dude. Come on now. My music situation is kind of a joke right now. The cover band isn't really trying to get shows anymore. We don't really have any shows booked. We tried to drive out the other night to talk to some managers of bars and get some gigs and shit, but that didn't pan out. I don't have time to start something new with a whole group of guys, so right now I'm just trying to be content on playing with Mark. We're back together playing again, but I wish we could practice more. In December, we're going into the studio to record two or three new songs, and then we'll have a full EP with the addition of Saturday, Oblivion, and Everybody's Bleeding. I These are some of the first like songs I ever like co-wrote with someone in my life this is like literally the beginning of me like writing my own music but i was collaborating with this guy mark but i guess Did i didn't those titles get any more emo all oh, right <laughs> i know oblivion everyone's bleeding <clears throat> they're good songs though if anyone wants to hear them i got links to them they're they're they still hold up in my my opinion um uh-huh. so you guys are getting a little disjointed edit here uh the power Went out in my house right in the middle of me doing the podcast, and now we're back. It's like as soon as you said REM wasn't underrated, then it, then it was just. I was talking not. about writing with Mark, and that yeah. was like the beginning of me like writing my own music. Yada 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 yada. So let's just gonna finish this shit, and um, and we'll be done. All right. So <clears throat> talked about recording Saturday Oblivion, and everyone's bleeding. It's fun and all, but his voice honestly ain't going to be any kind of moneymaker for us. It's pretty bad. Ain't. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm yeah. from the South, man. What do you expect? Exactly. <laughs> um, and he, oh my God, I'm about to cringe at this next sentence. Oh no. And oh, he's no. like 
And he's like 32. That's too fucking old to be getting into the oh music that we're trying gosh. to get into. Bro, I'm going to be 33 in like uh, fucking <sighs> a couple days. Oh my God. Uh, Young Josh, you can go fuck yourself, you ageist asshole. <laughs> I go on. So the coup de gras, Kayla. Oh, Kayla. That's the new bitch in my life. And when I say in my life... I only mean I know her. I met her in pharmacy one day after the head pharmacist got done telling me what a piece of shit I was. And I was like, watch it. Oh, and she was like, watch the girl who's coming in and see how she does it. So I was already having a bad attitude towards this new girl. Then when this girl walks in, she's fucking gorgeous. It took my breath away, literally. How sappy, right? So I start talking to this girl slowly but surely. Then by the time I leave the pharmacy that day, I got her number and I use the excuse that, hey, I know you want more hours, so can I get your number in case I call out? And she was like, yeah, sure. And she gave it to me. So the next day I start texting her to see if she's working and that turns into more texting, which then turns into her calling me and us talking about getting to know each other. And then we call some more, which eventually leads to a hangout. The hangout goes well and that leads to another hangout. Eventually, I tell her I like her, and she says she likes me, but since she just got out of a relationship, she didn't want to fuck with me. Fine. Um, I guess I kept being pushy, though, but now that I think about it, so was she. Eventually, we're on her bed, and she kind of says, what are we? And I ask, do you want to be my girlfriend? And she says, yes. And she's like, change your Facebook status to in a relationship. LOL, how cute, right? So everything is cool for a fucking week. Then she starts having feelings for her ex-boyfriend. Well, she doesn't start. I guess it's always been there. So we break up because, quote, she needs time. And then after a day of thinking and us not talking, she decides she wants me back if I'll have her. And I say, yes, okay. And then the next day at school, when I was talking to her on the phone, we were talking about her schedule and we just see that, damn, we have, like, no time to hang out or see each other. So she decides to remedy this by suggesting, do you want to be just be friends? No, I fucking don't, you stupid fucking cunt. I want to be with you, and I want to get to know you, and I want to fuck you. I want you to belong to me, damn it. But what I say is, stumbling, stammering, awkward, um, uh, no, I don't want to just be friends. Why do you say this? And she's like, because we never have time, blah, 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 blah. And eventually she gets her way as we talk later on Facebook chat. She basically breaks up with me for the second time. I was fucking pissed. And now that's kind of where we're still at. Our relationship is a big game, and I know this. And she knows this. But one of the rules of the game is that no one acknowledges that it's a game. It's understood, but never admitted to. She acts like she doesn't give a shit about me and that she doesn't need me. She tells me about her ex-boyfriend and how she hates him one week. And then the next week, she just wants to be friends with him. And then she has feelings for him. And then the next week, she decided that she cannot be friends with him and that she doesn't want to talk to him anymore. Now, this week, she's going to his birthday party on Wednesday and is friends with him on Facebook. What is her objective with me? Well, this is what I know. Number one, she keeps calling. Number two, she texts. Number three, she's affectionate. For instance, last night I went over to her house. We laid in bed together cuddling. We made out a little bit, etc. Number four, she gives me the look. 
So that's not nothing. It's definitely something. But is it significant? I don't know. She obviously likes me as more than a friend. But what do I mean to her? Asking her hasn't really been working out for me. So I don't want to go down that road. I guess only time will tell. Now, if at this point you're saying to yourself, dude, you sound pretty pathetic and you sound like you're just being her bitch. This is what I say to you. This is my game. This gives me sick pleasure. Chasing after women is like a drug for me. There are extreme highs and payoffs, flirting, flirting, make out, sex, affection, which make me feel on top of the world. In this game, though, there are big risks. That constant pain in your stomach when she tells you she doesn't like you, want to see you or is into someone else, depression, waste of money, self-loathing, waste of time. Probably the biggest risk you face is getting too hooked. Which, by the way, always, I repeat, always happens to me. Every fucking time, I always get too attached. You know why? Because I suck in so many ways, and meeting people, new people, is one way I suck. I don't have the data to back this up, but I think I may not be the most attractive person in the world to girls. And my personality can come off as alienating to others. There is pretty much a margin of girls I can get, if you will. They have to be off the cusp a little bit. Kind of weird. I can't get a mainstream whore who is generally accepted as, quote, uh, legit. The girls who I can get have to have intelligence. If they are just a dumb cunt, I will never be able to land that shit. Not saying I wouldn't want to. They just would never go for a guy like me. So long story short, I am bad at meeting new girls. So when I find one I can sink my teeth into and get hooked, um, the harder I try to pull away the more it hurts and the barb the barb sticks deeper into my heart however if i keep pushing my way into the hook i feel no pain but it will hurt that much more when i have to rip it out of me but i can do it it just leaves a big ass scar so that's where i'm at with kayla she probably doesn't want me that bad but i'm too much of a bitch to let her go so instead i keep thinking i can turn it around which may be true but it's going to take a lot of work and dedication and the slightest wrong move could push her away. I must lure her into my trap so she'll be the one who's stuck instead of me. But the ball is totally in her court. Trap? The um, (laughs) metaphorical trap, not not a a physical trap. I know, I know, but it's still, you know. Um, She'll be the one who's uh, stuck instead of me But the ball is totally in her core in every way at this point So I gotta tread lightly on this one I shall update on this later Fuck my life for real, take care So incel Josh uh, Made a (laughs) uh, Return here with a vengeance (laughs) (laughs) Yeah that was That was when I was still like not At the weight that I wanted to be at And Uh it was hard for me to get quote-unquote women um mm-hmm. and so and, and so you're just getting friend zoned yeah and in all fairness kayla is was and is one of the most attractive females that i've seen like she's very very attractive she's like she's got like movie star good looks like her mm-hmm. facial bone structure is just like insane but um yeah like so <laughs> kayla has actually been in my life to this day, I uh, like maybe a couple weeks ago, um, I got off the phone with her. Cool. Uh, we've been, but but see though, here's the thing: she is a very toxic person. She is, oh. she is very mentally fucked up. Um, okay. She can't like th- that post that I just read. 
if her and I were still on speaking terms, she would get such a kick out of hearing that because that's literally when we first met. And mm-hmm. um, like, yeah, she she positioned herself as an intelligent, like thoughtful person when I first met her. But oh, buddy, the years that followed, she just went down a bad fucking trail. Oh, she yeah. she got into drugs. She oh. she she's got borderline personality disorder she's Uh got all kinds of problems currently her mom is dying of cancer her mom may have already died i don't know um she was calling me every day telling me about these horrific things about her mom and how her mom's dying and she's telling me like just these gruesome details that i'm not even honestly i am not even going to repeat on here because they are they are very disturbing yeah and man i mean my dad died three years ago i don't want to hear about this shit you know i'm not strong Uh enough of a person to be your grief counselor and i one of the the days and that's all she would talk about she wouldn't talk about anything else how's your life she would give she would give me the cursory so how's your life been how's the band just these kind of cursory like questions but i knew she didn't actually care she just wanted to make it seem like it wasn't a one-way conversation she's treating you like the the friend in a rom-com you know where let me talk about how shitty my life is and not really pay attention to or, or really ask you right sincerely uh, what you're doing right exactly you're doing. and and it's just all all i was was a soundboard where she could tell me her grievances and all that and in the arc of our relationship so what? you were zong zanga you were her saying yeah 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 <laughs> i was i really was yeah we did eventually like hook up, like we got into like kind of this fuck buddy relationship, and uh-huh. and she by the time, by the time she was like truly ready to date me and give it a real shot, I was so damaged and broken by the world by then that I just <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was like nah, I don't I'm not really a relationship kind of guy anymore. Uh-huh. Like I don't know what snapped in my brain, but I just at I think by age 24 I was just I guess like, you just got tired of playing that wicked game right <laughs> that's a good way to put it mike i'll leave it i'll leave it at that i'll leave it there um that's that's the perks of being a josh flower this is the end of the podcast if you want to become a patreon you can go to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained unexplained mysteries for three dollars a month you'll get the podcast early for five dollars a month you could get the podcast early and you can tell us what the fuck you want us to talk about on here one of the cases gene flannis i believe was a suggestion from stacy rich so thank you stacy um if you are a patreon recently there was a nice fat little bonus for you on there is actually a podcast that i attempted to start with this guy Corey, who listens to this podcast we were going to do a music-based podcast and we upload i uploaded the pilot episode of that onto the patreon now why did i do that instead of starting a separate podcast well, because once I got into it, I realized that starting a whole brand new podcast and getting the RSS feed and doing all that shit and committing to a weekly recording. I, what was I thinking? What was I, I ain't got time for that shit. Yeah, you barely have enough time for one podcast. So. And that's what I told him. I was like, you know what, man, I, I barely have time for for to even do UUM. So it's it would not be a, a good idea for me to start this. I should have told him from the beginning, but I thought, ah, fuck it. I'll give it a try. It's just, it's too much. But anyway, if you want to hear the pilot episode of what could have been, uh, you can go over to Patreon, and that's for the $3 and the $5 people. So uh, 
Yeah, give that a listen. Um, if you like me and Mike, but we're too togethery on this podcast, you can find us separately on our separate YouTube channels. Mike's YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. What was the last movie or, or what was the last video you did? Last video I uploaded is our epic rant on Batman and Robin. Oh, that's funny. I yeah. Just, I just started watching the um, original Batman with Michael Keaton last night. That's a good one. That's a classic. I really like that film. Uh, Batman Returns is good, too. Forever has its moments, but I would just say it's pretty mediocre. I liked Forever. Batman and Robin, though, is an, is an absolute piece of shit. It is. Awful. It is. Terrible. George Clooney should not be Batman. He didn't even try. And apparently the suit was so tight, he couldn't get out of it easily. So he pissed himself in that suit. Wow. While he was... While he was shooting. No wonder his performance stunk so much. Was that the suit that had the bat nipples? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, We killed the dinosaurs! The Ice Age! It's like, uh, uh, Arnold, dinosaurs weren't alive during the Ice Age, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> I mean, he was just, he was so over the top in his performance, and all the ice puns and shit, like... Like, uh, Mr. Freeze, yeah. the character, actually was a lot more serious than that oh, in yeah. the cartoons. Yeah. He wasn't this, like... Yeah, in the animated goofy. series, it, it was... it would, His uh, episodes were some of the best, some of the most emotional Oh, yeah, because he was trying to... He was trying to, like, resuscitate his dead wife, and, like, that's... that's that he was. And they had that aspect in Batman and Robin, and... There were times where Arnold was just being serious and trying to save his wife that it was kind of poignant and kind of uh compelling, but then it's back to ice puns and Yeah, it, yeah. And know, then the, just... then Poison Ivy making both the guys fall in love and fight over and shit. That was so stupid. <laughs> the back credit card. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Were those the only two villains? <laughs> You know, Bane was also there too. Is this run of a guy who got uh, the steroid and became like Bane, and he was only speaking in monosyllables. Hi guys, this is a uh, more recent Josh chiming in. So at this point in the podcast, there was yet another fucking power outage on my end, and at that point we were so near the end that I just told Mike, you know what, fuck it it's it's done we've uh, we've got enough material to work with and i'll just go and finish it on my own after the fact um so yeah my youtube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts you already heard the commercial earlier in the podcast but uh i also have a youtube channel i do all my own content on there and it ranges from music uh kind of documentary style videos to reaction videos to album reviews and anything music related so you should go on over there the last video i did was um like the top like dick moves that i made when i first started out in music like just just rookie mistakes that you just no one should do ever and uh i was young and stupid and so i explained those those dick moves that i made so if that's something that you'd want to hear about go over to uh youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts we are also on Spotify if you want to listen to more of our music. We actually have uh, our song, our cover of the Miley Cyrus song Wrecking Ball dropping this Friday on my YouTube channel and on uh, all the streaming platforms. 
If you want to join our Facebook group, it's an awesome, inclusive, amazing, interactive group of Unsolved Mysteries fans. Go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, and then go to the group section. You can find it. You're smart, I think. Um, smarter than, than I am, I know that much. Um, yeah, they think that is it. I think that's all I wanted to say. Uh, right. Fucking Florida thunderstorms. Gotta love the random power outages. Um, so yeah, until next time, have a good rest of your night. And then I'll impersonate Mike now. See ya!